Punctum, a podcast exploring the creative practice of contemporary photographers and the bookmaking process. Coming to you from my Somerville, Massachusetts studio. I am Jay Sabella Smith, the creator and host of Got Punctum. Welcome to our live photo book book group and our conversation with Ed Cashy. Here we share ideas, resources, and challenges of creative practice, and we discuss the ways ideas move into projects and evolve into book form. A note about our format. For those listening to Got Punctum, you may access the visuals we reference by following the links in our episode notes that lead to a summary with a video on my website. Visuals are also available on Ed's website and on the publisher Carrere's website. Links to all these references will be in my summary and episode notes. Following our unscripted conversation, we will have an unrecorded question and answer session with our live audience. This segment is not included in the podcast. We encourage our podcast listeners to join in our live conversations and you can access the free registration on my website under Happening Now and the drop-down Attend. I created this platform to engage and sustain an interactive dialogue. My work centers on concept development and isolating the dynamic elements of creative practice. As a curator, educator, and consultant, my medium is the creative process. I'm especially interested in how our own observations and awarenesses show up in our work. It's why I created my concept-aware curriculum. It is because I believe as visual creatives, we have a responsibility to explore how we see and why it matters. I believe in the power of the photograph to impact individual lives and to initiate positive social change. It's my pleasure and an honor to introduce my guest, Ed Cashy. I met Ed in 2011 when I curated an exhibition called IC, little I, big S E E, with 18 other members of the photo agency Seven. Ed and I, Ed, for you, I want to let you know, I do not introduce people with a review of accomplishments. And in your case, this is quite substantial. This information is available elsewhere. I introduce you from a frame of how I see how you see. Anyone who knows my work knows about punctum. I named my podcast with the term and my trailer explains its meaning. Coined by the French philosopher Roland Barthes, it speaks to the emotional impact of an image. The word means to puncture in Latin and references the silent exchange between the image and the viewer. The conduit for punctum is the image maker. Ed, given your four decades of covering and discovering world events in 100 countries, I believe you have an extremely active heart. It's evident in your work that you strive to be an eyewitness, to be a conduit, to bring the chaos, wonder, and complexity of the human experience to life via imagery. You utilize and innovate all forms of technology and image making still images, video, and installation, all with a single purpose, to create connections, to honor, engage, and increase our capacity for empathy, to encourage us to expand our understanding, and to take responsibility for our complicity as members of the human collective. Abandoned Moments is your love story to relationship and an acknowledgement of the extremes of romance and fury embedded in most dedicated and committed relationships. 
in ways this story weaves all the loves of your life together. Image making, bearing witness, the love of your family, your colleagues, your subjects. It is a retrospective encounter with the millions of images you've created, the hundreds of thousands of people you have photographed, and the staggering miles you traversed to do this work. From active conflict zones to playgrounds, street corners, industrial hazard sites, and intimate moments of mourning. You've covered religious issues from Northern Ireland to the West Bank, Syrian refugees, and the newest Americans. You've exposed corporate greed and the kidney disease found in agricultural workers. And you give voice to young Muslim women wearing the hijab in Newark, New Jersey. With this book, you take off the invisibility cloak of the photojournalist and performed an act of recollection. The title of Alison Nordstrom's essay in your book is On Recollection. The word means to gather again. With these 68 images taken between 1977 and 2020, you review, you reconsider, you re-encounter. The edit and sequence is with your own eye. The text, your own words. Allison refers to your embrace of, quote, an authorial perspective that has often been downplayed and intentionally unexpressed. And she mentions how this book is, quote, a nuanced form of autobiography from someone whose entire working life has been predicated on his own invisibility. While I think this must be liberating, I also think it must be a labor. You bring us closer to the journey of your heart. Your frame acknowledges chaos, fear, and wonder as our collective experience, our individual and interconnected journeys of the heart. I'm reminded of a line from an E.E. E. Cummings poem, for every mile the feet go, the heart goes nine. I curated an exhibit called The Heart Goes Nine with this truism as the inspiration. It's why I know your heart is a refined and agile one. I'm really excited to listen and learn about your journey to create abandoned moments. So welcome, Ed. Well, Sibella, first, thank you so much for having me. And if I knew you were going to write what you just read, I would have included that in the book. That was amazing. <laughs> no hey, offense to Alison, no of course. <laughs> that was great. That was a, please send me that copy now. Um, <clears throat> but thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so. So I'm sorry, what was your first question? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. I know that in looking at all of this and reviewing, I mean, I have been running alongside you for a, a, a decade. So I, I, I have been privy to a lot of your work and you're a multimedia person. But two things, this book spans from 1977, um, but you mentioned, you said that your journey started in 1980 in San Francisco and that this particular uh, creative project somehow was spurred in 2010, because it's been 10 years. So maybe I'd love to hear about those beginnings in San sure. Francisco and then what spurred this particular bend in your road. Absolutely, absolutely. So. For me, the, the, the idea or the concept of an abandoned moment from a photographic perspective unwittingly was born when I was a photo student in London in 1977. And the image I made <clears throat> of a Jamaican preacher holding a Bible upside down, uh, anyway, was made when I kind of didn't know what I was doing. I was just learning photography, but I was experimenting with flash during daylight. Anyway, so and then um, that image always stuck with me. And then I graduated from university. I moved out to San Francisco. I'm, I'm from New York. And um, I think 
then I took this idea almost as a reaction to, you know, I'm 21 years old. I've moved to this place I'd never been to before. Um, I'm, you know, the idea of getting freelance work was just a beginning, a dream at this point. I was just getting started, but I felt I needed to go out into the world and create something of my own. <clears throat> and so the idea of the abandoned moment from that perspective was literally stalking the streets of San Francisco. And I would do it very methodically, you know, certain neighborhoods, you know, Chinatown, the financial district, the mission district, you know, distinct neighborhoods of this new city, this new home for me. And I would, and I would do it specifically at dusk because I wanted to play with flash blur. And, you know, so some of this was utilizing te photographic techniques that were new to me, but were extremely exciting. The results were so exciting. And some of it was almost a visceral reaction to, you know, I'm, I'm just beginning my life as a photographer and I need to do something. And it, I, there was maybe even a little anger in it too, in the way I did it. So anyway, so then I did that for about a year in San Francisco. And that's really where the idea of the abandoned moment, so we're talking about 1981 now, came into mm. play. And then over the years, this approach, which I, you know, which is really in a sense, um, you know, inversely proportional to the decisive moment uh, that Cartier-Bresson coined, you know, and this idea of what I discovered early on in my photographic journey is that you can be completely out of control in the moment that you snap the shutter, but magic can still happen. And it is that idea that I've explored for the last 40 years and so, you know, this idea, this approach was, let's say, you know, it was a, it was a quiver in my, it was like a, it was like a, you know, a, a, a tool in my toolkit. Mm -hmm. And over time, what happened though, is this idea of shooting from the hip, not bringing up my, the camera to my eye became actually um, an, an expedient and almost survival technique, especially working in areas with civil unrest or conflict where, you know, the, the idea of bringing the camera the act of bringing the camera to my eye was almost like bringing a gun up to my shoulder. That the way people reacted and how it changed things um, sort of showed me the, um, the, the efficacy, the utility of this approach. So on the one hand, it's you know in and of itself a form of expression for me, but it's also like a, a practical tool that I've used over the years uh, when appropriate in my reportage and documentary work. Mm -hmm. And then um, you alluded to 10 years ago. So then it was around 2010 where I was working with the folks in my studio at that point, where I was like, I have to do, a, we have to put a book together of this work. And uh, that then it was about a 10 year process of noodling with the work and the, you know, going to my archives and thinking about the words and the, con and the context for this, for these images. Wow, okay comically i'm like okay we can end now because you just like touched like so many different points in what you just said so i just want to i just want to highlight a couple of them because i think it's so important and thank you for putting it so well this idea that you went about creating something of your own i mean honestly you were um engaging in innovation and forming a relationship with photography and what's interesting is it sounds like what came out of it which does have to do with love is that magic that you're like, even when I'm not in control, um, magic is happening. And I'm curious, and we could unpack that later and maybe we need to do that not on a podcast, but the anger part of it and the visceral reaction part of it, like something is instigated there that you definitely wanted to both understand and, um, it's really interesting. The first thing I'm thinking about is that you've got this very powerful tool in your hand. And when you described it, the, the act of leaving it at your hip was actually somewhat a survival mechanism in certain circumstances. You were literally shooting from the hip, but it also became, um, it's like your relationship 
when you're taking the photograph, I keep making, or at least this is my premise, that your eye and heart are so connected and that I feel like when I'm looking at your images, your heart's in there too. And so what's interesting is I feel like you just described building this relationship where the magic of photography went in two different directions simultaneously. It went to you and the outside world and it also went to you and in your interior world. Like a, a really interesting uh, tool. Um, so I love that it's an approach and that you have a toolkit. I love that you are innovating. I love that you're building a foundation. Um, and so anyway, you made me think of so many things that as I work with people who, who look at your work and say like, you know, how do I do this? How, how, like, what are the aspects of documentary photography, social documentary photography? Um, you know, I had mentioned to you just before we got on, it's like you are a master with all of this experience and, and then you're free to like break all the rules or make your own rules. And that's when it's really fun. So now getting back to the 10 years ago, what was the impetus? You said, I need to make a, a, a book out of this work. Is it the work I, I almost actually did a show on this called The Cutting Room Floor because right. there's so much, right? You you put your heart and soul into something and then you hand it to an editor and your favorite shot is literally on the floor, does not get published. And yeah. I've been, you know, I was not the photographer, but I've been on creative teams and had that experience of just being like not happy sometimes about what was referenced. So is the book impetus coming from that place like, let me tell you how I see, or let me tell you something like, what was that? What yeah, was so, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I see this book as the third book in a kind of midlife or mid-career trilogy. The other two were um, photojournalisms and um, three, and mm -hmm. these are books that have been previously published. And all three books, including The Abandoned Moments, is, is sort of going into my archive to sort of harvest, in a sense, ex it's sort of like an investigation examination of a concept I would come up with and knowing that I had that or thinking I had that work in my archive, okay? Mm -hmm. The Abandoned Moment book though, this is something that's very different because it's really about a photographic approach or style. It's about the language of photography and this very specific way, this thing I discovered you know, I'm not the only one to shoot from the hip, obviously. This is a tried and true, um, you know, um, approach within the world of photography. But for me, there, there felt something very specific about it. And also because majority of my work has always been so directed and focused, you know, it's issue oriented. It's, it's about creating, you know, visual essays and dealing with very difficult subjects and also intimacy and getting very close to people. And so this is in a, not an attempt. It's, um, it's more of an exercise of kind of like throwing all those things away. You know, the original context in which I went and made these photographs and looking at it purely through the prism of this concept or approach of the photograph within the photographic language. And so I love setting, I love doing things like that. The Enigma Room, which was an installation we, I did, I put together with folks in my studio over the last few years, which is a video installation is another example of that. You know, there's this beautiful quote or, or Don McCullen, the great uh, British war photographer, uh, for those of you who might know who he is, but, you know, basically to paraphrase it, he would talk about how when he was in his, you know, country home in England, Southeast England, and he'd be lying in bed at night, he'd hear his negatives talking to each other in the other room. And I can't remember, maybe that was 15 years ago or something like that, where I heard him talk about that, say that in a lecture. And I was like, wow, it was like a eureka moment of right in in when you if you have the privilege opportunity to create to do you know to make photographs for an extended period of time in this case for me over 40 years invariably when you break them out of their original context and purpose and meaning there is the there are these other conversations that happen and that's what i've been exploring in the last in these last three books with abandoned moments really being the, the kind of crowning 
achievement for me. And again, specifically focused on the language of photography. So interesting. So would you say that as you built from three to photojournalisms, I love that you call it a trilogy because I obviously thought about photojournalisms a lot in reference to this. Um, I'm backing into this question. Do you think that the concept became clearer through each or did it change with each? You mean the concept of the abandoned moment? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I think it's something that, that has just been refined for me over the years and mm. you know, constantly making new discoveries. You know, 20 years ago, um, when I, I did another foray into this in 2001 in San Francisco before we moved back east, where I spent weeks doing the exact same thing I had done 20 years earlier at the beginning of my career. But then over time, it was always this this sort of thing that was in the back of my head, you know, or or I would be wherever in the West Bank or in Iraq, and I would and I would deploy without even thinking about it this approach, you know, which is essentially trying to be invisible and be somewhat incognito, even though that's a bunch of crap because I stick out wherever I am. And once you have a camera in your hand, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, so over over time it's something that's always come in and out of my consciousness. And then I think it was at around 2010 where I thought, you know what, it's time. It's time to, you know, dig into the archives and let's, let's try to find images that, that reflect and define this idea, this approach, and see what we come up with. Mm. It's interesting because I think I was thinking about it in terms of um, that's why I called it a labor. I wondered about it giving you the opportunity to actually digest some of the things that when you are wearing that quote unquote invisibility cloak of the photojournalist, you had to have registered, but you didn't always have time to process. So I thought about this being both freeing and, and, and it's like, yeah, all of a sudden you put your headphones on and you're listening to the negatives in your archives. And yet at the same time, I really felt like this was an explore of the heart, that this was a um, further um, processing of this idea of all it took to do this. And that it wasn't just you, obviously, right? And it, you know, yeah. you poignantly, um, bring in your family and, you know, knowing your other work and looking photojournalisms and other places where this isn't done lightly and this impacts so many other parts of your life. Um, like you have a life that's going on while you're dumped, sorry, wrong word, dropped into cacophonies in different places. Yeah. So, so I wondered about it as a tool for you to try to Reflect. Yeah, reflect. And I was going to say reflect. And I'm also thinking mirror it or or almost like um, educate us, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah. yes, I am the conduit, but I'm not earthenware. I'm a human person with this idea that I, too, have to process the the impact. Like when I thought of I was looking at other photographs, um, I came across that beautiful photograph of the two women biking in Vietnam. Right. And it's stunning. Like that, that is just a stunning image. It's not in the visuals that I'm going to share. Um, but I think about that idea that um, just, yeah, it's almost like how you could compute all the emotions that you encountered. There was another image, and I frankly can't remember where I saw it. And you were off to the side, and a person was being washed for their being wrapped as their yes. uh, funeral. I think it's and, actually from the Crimea uh, in, 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 yeah, in Ukraine actually, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and maybe maybe that is in photojournalism or maybe you talk about it, but I know that you journaled through a lot <clears throat> yes. of what you experienced. Yeah, no, that is in photojournalism. So, mm. you know, Sibylla, I'd say that to pick up on what, you're, but what you're alluding to is, um, so this is partly a form of therapy, but it, you know, but it's also, so one thing that, that, that I learned over the years, especially working on very large projects, whether they were 
with National Geographic, so I'm working with an, an intense editor, or big my own big personal projects where I'm working with folks in my studio who I'm very close with, is that you know when you're editing, and this could go for you know a one day shoot even that you might do, where you know you have a mission from that shoot, whether it's one day, one year, or a decade of work, and it's like you're editing with those I hate to say it almost blinders or guard, guard, you know, guide, guardrails in mind. You know, I, I had the shoot, I, there's a specific image or a specific story I'm trying to tell. And what happens, what gets lost in that editing process so often are some of the other magical images and moments you might have captured that don't necessarily fit in or conform to the story that you're trying to tell, the assignment you're trying to fulfill in that given, you know, moment of editing. So. The, the beauty of going back to one's work, and again, as I say, decontextualizing it, mm -hmm. right? So I might go to my work on whatever, you know, aging in America, and instead of looking at it through the prism of, well, how does this image tell the story of America aging? I just look at it like, that's a really interesting image, or it's effervescent, or it's full of energy, or, or it's full of love or beauty. And, and it's sort of quite often, and I wonder if other folks who do reportage, you know, documentary journalistic kind of work feel this way. In the moment, we're almost not allowed to, yes. I'm not saying anyone is disallowing me, but I think in our own internal process, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm so focused on trying to get to the exact time and space on earth where I have the visual elements that will tell the story I'm trying to tell. So there's a lot lost in that journey, in that endeavor that you might, I don't know, for, for those of you who have photographed on film, either now or in the past, you know, there was always that idea of, you know, I have no idea what I'm capturing. I'm out in the field working for days, weeks, maybe sometimes months, like on geographic stories. And I've got, you know, 300 rolls of film in a sack in my hotel room. I have no idea what has been great, what isn't. And whereas now you can get that, you can get that feedback immediately or at night when you go back to your home or your room and you look at what you've done. So anyway, so there's, um, you know, I just find this to be such an interesting, it's all part of the journey of, mm. of a photographic life, quite frankly, you know, yes. where, and you talk about the love of it, you know, there are images I would look at quite often, my memories are formed by the images I made, not the actual life experience I had. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it definitely, it is what it is that, you know, because the, these, the images, they're seared into the back of my head, into my heart, you know, into my gut. And, and so whether they're dramatic and, and, you know, difficult to look at, or, or it's about beauty or love, like the two women on the, you know, on a motorcycle in Vietnam, which is just these beautiful women in this sort of effervescent moments, you know, coming by. So anyway, that was a lot there, but <laughs> no, but I get it. And what's interesting is actually um, Sally Mann writes about that in Hold Still, that she talks about the fact that images replace our memory. And mm. it's absolutely true, right? There's so much a, 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 um, a ballast for it. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll move through our PDF and, and explain to the people who aren't on with us how I chose to frame your work. And there maybe are a dozen images was you um, talk about this work with these kinds of words behind it, serendipity, happenstance, a different kind of precision, an impulsive act, less controlled, chaos of life. And what's interesting is these are the things that I think became your parameters and they're much more fluid and they're not being edit edited by anyone else and they are taken out of context, you know, and, yeah. and they don't have any of the ex explanation. And what's so interesting is just yesterday, did I notice because the image you referred to of uh, when you were a student in England, I noticed that the Bible is upside down just yesterday. It was really interesting because yeah. it was like, I didn't see that the first time and then I did. Uh, so anyway, these are the kinds of, um, they're almost the reference points for the magic to know that magic is happening when all these things are in play. And um, I just put together a, a, a blend of images that 
that you wove through the book. And, and if you want to talk about any of them um, and why you chose them, I'd be happy to. I mean, we're looking at this one with someone with a mohawk. You've definitely used this blur. And it's a really interesting conversation between the people that you did get in your frame and then the idea that he has a bag that he's just casually holding that's got a portrait in it. Right. So this kind of... Um, energy right and yeah and, and a multi-layered kind of image as well to some degree you know for me like this image is emblematic of the the aspect of this work which was about i'm i'm literally and i hate to use the word stalking because i wouldn't by the way i would not behave this way now because uh, of not only how i've changed but also how the world has changed and also how the conversation around photography has changed all for the most part to the, you know, for the benefit of, uh, of all. But, um, you know, I would literally be, you know, I'd say, okay, I'm gonna go out this evening or at dusk and I'm gonna go to this area. This was in San Francisco in 2001, I think. And, you know, I'm just looking, I'm looking for like visual clues or cues, you know, like some, so in this case, I think his, the, the mohawk and, and the white t-shirt and then holding the bag with another image, you know, it's like, it's a split second decision in this case. You know, there's not a lot of thinking this is very much um, that goes into this is very much just being reactive. It's visceral, like, oh, that's a really interesting looking person, you know, and I'm, and boom, boom, I'm going to photograph them. You know, I like, and literally I would have like the camera in one hand and the flash in another, and I'm walking down the street and I might be walking and then I'll go boom, and then I'll keep on walking. <laughs> and, and then I'll, in his case, I wasn't worried. Sometimes I'll do that. And I would be like, I hope that person isn't like, uh, turned around and coming to run after me or sometimes people would yell you know and like I say I don't think I could work that way now because I've become in fact too sensitive to my impact on my environment when I was younger I was less sensitive about it because partly the hubris of youth partly ignorance in a way of what you know, you know what it mostly was is that it was like I had this God-given right to go wherever I wanted in the world with a camera and do whatever I wanted to do. It was that idea. And I'm mm. I'm a nice guy. I'm not an asshole. But even so, even nice people can think this way when you put a camera in their hand. <laughs> you know, it's like that somehow we're empowered. And mm. over the years, and again, due to wonderful new dialogue that is happening, really being pushed by new generations of practitioners that. I've kind of had a change of heart and a change of mind that that doesn't mean I won't go in the streets and stalk is not the right word, look for images, but I'll be much more sensitive and mindful because I don't want to upset people, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. which is in, so it's interesting, this evolution within me, just looking at, you know, you know, in the context of this work. Yeah, and actually it goes back to what you said before about the act of putting the camera up is like putting a gun up. It, there's a power in it that is not often discussed, right? And so in this case, you're sensitive like to the power dynamics, which I don't think get enough airtime between photographers and subjects. And even in new conversations that are now on the table, um, there's a massive power dynamic that goes on that doesn't get as um, granular as I think it needs to. I mean, I think we're talking about whose story is it, who's right to tell which story and how, but I think even when it's something like portraiture, um, yeah, there's a power dynamic. I just don't think it gets enough focus. Well, I think, and I feel, and I don't know if this is scientifically correct, but mm. I, my sense, because obviously I look at a lot of work, especially because I mentor and teach folks as well as continue to do my own work, is that mm -hmm. overall I see a real shift because of these new conversations that there's a, a much more, there's a lot, a big shift to more portraiture, to more conceptual documentary work, basically to work that is more controlled. And because I do feel, I wonder, I wonder if people, especially younger photographers, there's, there's less of a desire to go out into the world in this way, kind of willy nilly, you know, doing street photography, basically, you know, I wonder, you know, um, think of someone like, um, uh, 
the magnum photographer Bruce um, Gilden, you know, uh, like his work is really provocative and actually in, it's incredible from a photographic point of view in terms of the images he makes, the quality, the characters and all that. But I, there's a part of me that looks at that kind of work and it feels it's very um, abusive almost, you know, like it's taking advantage of, of people. So anyway, we could get mired or we could go down many different alleys here. <laughs> let's, let's note that that's something for people to be thinking about and for us to be thinking about um, because it is really, really interesting. Um, I, I'm going to just bring up one thing because it made me think of it. I worked with um, um, Machak Nabradalik on his work also a seven member with, uh, we did a show called Refugee Crisis when he was here for the Neiman Fellowship yeah. and we showed it at Harvard. And he was really um, struggling with this notion that when he went to discover the refugee crisis, there were he actually photographed the moments people didn't, that they, that they were, he was with a whole host of people and because people came off and were actually calm, some of them were sharing a cigarette, some of them were checking their cell phone, that imagery wasn't taken. It was very similar to when we did IC uh, a dozen years ago and yeah. Peter DeCampo and Stephen Mays were the people I had at the gallery talk and Peter DeCampo was taking photographs with his iPhone and he's like, yeah, the NGO sending me to cover this, have an idea of what it's supposed to look like, but this is what's happening. And that idea, I think, is really interesting as we're shifting it. And I'm going to make one other note, which is my um, a, an idea I'm cooking and have been for a while. A few years back, I, I guest edited the first women's issue of Zeke, the social mm. documentary network publication. Yeah. And I did a call for entry. Uh, we had over 200 entries from around the world. It was fascinating. Um, and Glenn Ruga, uh, who runs uh, both social documentary and uh, is the publisher, was like, okay, Sib, why don't you write an article on women in photojournalism? And it was like, no small order. And okay, I'll never do that again, guest edit and write the article. However, in looking at a broad brush of women in photojournalism, because of denied access, because they were women, they had to find other ways to shoot. And it is my premise that I think women shooting documentary have changed, helped change the face of documentary because they had to tell longer stories, more intimate stories um, from different vantage points. And it's kind of cracked open what we consider documentary and social documentary. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of notes. That's why my summary is like bullets of like, okay, think about this, think about that and look into yeah. this work. And um, so this is an image that we're looking at from Northern Ireland. Um, and this is what I mean about your masterful composition uh, and, and form and texture and framing this image and then getting the subject matter. I mean, it kind of blows your mind, all the things that are going on at the same time. And really hard to look at an image like this and be thinking aesthetically as well as issue oriented, yeah. but you know. Yeah, and so for me, this, like many of these images, this is an example of, um, again, where I'm, I've been spending time with these folks. This, this is the Protestant community in Northern Ireland and um, this back in 1989, I think 1990. And um, I'm hanging with these guys. It's not like I just parachuted in. I'd spent weeks with them. And, you know, all of a sudden, one of them comes out with this gun and, you know, the balaclava. And, and you know, it's, again, for me, it was just like a, it was a visceral, visceral reaction mm -hmm. where I didn't bring the camera to my eye. I was shooting actually with a Leica then and like a, a very a wide lens. And so what I, what I, this is emblematic of what I call like the kind of dance of doing photography, where literally, literally, even though my mind, I'm not a very good dancer, but uh, but when I have a camera in my hand, I I feel like it's like I I don't even know that my body is shifting, that my feet are moving. It's this, I don't know how to put it. It's like almost like a, an umbilical cord that I get connected to to a scene, and I'm just sort of following it, and I'm flowing with it, and and you know. And I know like the focal length lens I have, this is something that a benefit of experience. So I have a fairly good idea of the scope of coverage within my frame. Not exact, 
but a fairly good idea. So that, so I just, you know, I can like put the camera, I can sort of jut it out in any direction and be fairly confident I'll come up with an image. And anyway, so this to me is an example of that in a bit of a more tense situation where mm -hmm. I'm working, but I'm working fluidly, um, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to like posing him or, or, you know, waiting for this perfect moment to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the thing that I thought of when you're saying that is um, becoming one with the instrument, right? It's this mm -hmm. whole like embodiment of, um, which and flow being really important in that. Um, what I did besides, uh, what I interjected in the, um, <laughs> I like your typeface by the way. No. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, that actually is Matilda Biscaldi who works with us, who, um, tries to take off from the book, right. And in your, in your end paper, you use a kind of chalkboard, um, function, right. And yeah. so we, we took off on that, but what I took off on was I saw this chaos and wonder um, and fear as things that were drum beats, right, throughout it. And I appreciate that you include all of them, right? Um, chaos is inevitable. I thought about that. I thought about how waking up today on the world view of today is such chaos, uh, especially today, and um, how we all have to contend with that and still uh, get dressed, you know, and do things. So, um, the chaos, fear, which is really um, something we all share on a million different levels. And then this wonder, right? And the awe. And that's what I'm talking about when I was thinking on your work. It's like, at one point, I think I put out a post that said that you reflect the cacophony of us, because that's what it is. So I took those words, chaos, fear, and wonder, and I threw them in for a synonym search to kind of widen it because these are the things that I do. I mean, I think that anyone who is putting themselves in the role of conduit is opening themselves to all these layers of feelings. Yeah. So that idea that pandemonium, tumult, bedlam, upheaval, frenzy, turmoil um, are part of what chaos is about. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, and it's not all negative, And it's frankly, just like stress, like, like, we need stress. It's not that we need this, like, you know, flat line, but it's how, how uh, spiky the things we are um, encountering are. Well, so oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Uh, no, no, that's it's, fine. It's, I was just going to go to the next slide. Do you want me to go back? Yeah, no, no, go to the next slide. Um, okay. uh, what I was going to say is that, you know, also, your comments made me think about how so often in photography, actually, like the majority of the time, it's about, it's so reductionist and controlling. And that, I don't mean those are as negative things. They're almost, um, they're required on some level to make great images, you know, that, but we, you know, so like right now, if you're in the Ukraine and you're photographing, you know, you're, you're generally people are trying to make images that will tell a story. So you're sort of almost, like confined or, um, um, you know, you're, you're, you're locked into looking for specific visual information, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not very free flowing. And also, especially if you're on assignment, if you're working for a publication or you're working towards getting published, you need to make images that will make sense, that will tell a story, mm -hmm. that have some logic if you like to it. Mm -hmm. And again, this work is about breaking free of all of that all of those mm -hmm. confines that that straight jacket i'm trying to think of a metaphor if i were a writer i don't know maybe it would be writing poetry instead of uh, an essay i don't know mm -hmm. right you know mm -hmm. in an essay sure. you know, have to have facts and you're you're trying to explain you know, there's logic with poetry you're just it can be whatever you want it to be and if it makes sense to other people so much the better. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's so. so interesting. And it's actually making me think of um, two things because of what is going on in the Ukraine at the moment. I heard um, Lindsay Adario, uh, listened to Lindsay Adario as she was on the ground earlier this week on uh, the New York Times uh, podcast, The Daily. Um, and I'm thinking of her, I'm thinking of Tyler Hicks. I'm thinking of these photojournalists that we know that are on the ground Ron trying Haviv. to give us, Ron Haviv, oh my God. And I was gonna re lean back and get um, Lauren Walsh's last book, which we did, um, 
when it came out in the first year that we were doing the photo book book group, which is a really great deep dive into conflict photography. And this is taken from photojournalists like Ron Haviv and then the gatekeepers and um, Marianne Golan and other people that are making decisions of what is news and what gets in uh, publications. Yeah. So this book is, is a primer for that. And uh, it's conflict photography, conversations on conflict photography. And Lauren is coming out with a new book and she will be with us on March 10th um, yeah. because she's reflecting on the pandemic and Black Lives Matter. Um, yeah, so yeah, so these ideas of um, what, we're, what we're bringing out um, have a lot of um, uh, room to go out and explore and learn and listen. And frankly, I talk to people all the time that we're standing on changing landscape. You know, it's changing as we speak, like yeah. so dramatically. In fact, the IC exhibit that you were a part of was because it was the subtitle of the, the show was the eyes of seven in the hands of hipstamatic because mm. you were all playing with that in a as a tool from your from your smartphones yeah. and this conversation that that opened up um, and that's not work that you're on assignment for in, in fact if anything that was a big crack into abandoned moments <laughs> because you could play with filters and everything else right. so so this image is um, interesting because this is in Israel in 1995 um, it's in the West Bank so. Oh, sorry. It's in yeah. the West Bank. Um, I remember because I you don't have the um, the titles or places aren't with the images, so you're going right. back and forth. Um, and I was very curious where this was because obviously, so this in, yeah, this is in the city of Hebron. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, you know, and this was uh, from a project, a three year project I did about um, Jewish settlers in the West Bank and specifically looking at the more messianic settlers. And so Hebron is a city of, I don't know, almost 300,000 people of which only 500 are Jews, are settlers and the rest are Palestinians. Um, probably mostly Muslim, maybe some Christian Palestinians. But anyway, so it's like, to me, it was a very fascinating sort of situation of very disturbing, you know, where you have, you know, more Israeli soldiers than, than Jewish settlers living in this a Palestinian city, basically, so they could be protected. Anyway, so, you know, this was an image that in some ways is not connected to that narrative of what I was working on. It was just this image that I captured. Again, it's like walking down the street. You know, I always talk about, I like in like, when I'm really on as a photographer, you know, my senses are alive and I'm, whatever, I'm in good shape, probably rested and have a, a peace of mind, uh, you know, it's like, it's like an animal on the hunt, you know, and I'm using all my senses, you know, my, my, not just my eyesight, smell, my, my, you know, ears. I'm like, even like the feeling in the air. So you might smell something that's like, oh, there's a fire somewhere or, or, or there's a bakery, or you might hear something, you know, someone's coming into the frame using your peripheral vision. So all of these senses, mm -hmm are so alive when I'm working. Mm -hmm. And and abandoned moments is maybe the like penultimate version of that. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, whether it's the 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 hipster guy with a mohawk in San Francisco with a fancy shopping bag or or two Hasidic guys walking down the street in Hebron, you know, it's just, oh, that's interesting. Boom, I'll shoot it. You mm -hmm. know, and maybe I make one frame, one or two frames. Whereas when I'm really working in a more journalistic or documentary way, you know, I will settle in and make many, many pictures of a situation, work it mm -hmm. from different angles, mm -hmm. different distances, all of those things, if, if I have the opportunity to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's more about stream of consciousness. Yeah, I almost want to put a little um, hyphen there and say abandoned um, instinctual moments. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, like, like this. I mean, it must have been amazing. Uh, this one where we've got the monkey and is it a different animal? What's above? No, that's a, there are two monkeys. The and this two. Is at a, yeah, this is at a border crossing, a state border crossing in India. And uh, so, so, you know, trucks and vehicles are lined up at the toll plaza, basically. And I noticed that this guy 
was out there with monkeys and I, you know, he's probably, I mean, actually it's not, it's a disturbing thing that he's got these monkeys chained up so he can make some money by whatever entertaining the drivers. But, you know, I just, I saw this hopped out of the car. In this case, I didn't, I probably didn't even ask for permission. I just, again, I just thrust myself into the scene. You can do this in India a lot better than you can in a lot of places in the world. Often, you know, Indian folks are, 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 more accepting with photography, um, you know, having said that, that's not always the case. But anyway, so to me, this is, again, it's like, I see something, I react. It's almost like my mind isn't, aren't, isn't controlling my feet or my hands. They're just, it's, I'm propelled by yeah. this, by the scene and then just make a few images and yeah. And How visceral you know. it is. This is the uh, upside down uh, Bible in the, um, so you were at university. He was ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, of course, that made me think of someone else who held yeah, an upside down right. Bible. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But um, it's so interesting that this is such a key image in, in actually formulating how you see. Yeah. Well, first of all, as a 19-year-old kid that just had known photography for maybe a year at that point, the idea of, you know, this is like plus X film with a flash and it's, it's so rich and deep and textured, like all of the, the, you know, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, all the, the qualities of, of, of analog photography, mm -hmm. you know, that, that especially, but even now, even after 40 plus years, when you, you know, I'm sure you all feel this way, you make an image and, and sometimes the quality of it alone, I don't know if it's like if I was a painter and I'm making mm -hmm. with oil oils instead of acrylics and there's just a quality to oils yeah. that are different. And it's yes. that kind of a thing. It's just a, so anyway, so I didn't know what I was doing, but I was playing with flash and this, this guy came up to us and started proselytizing and a friend of mine, a photo friend, he was like playing a harmonica, like five feet away. We were just a bunch of young hippies in 1977 trying to learn photography you know but, mm. but when I looked at this image afterwards in the dark room I was like whoa there's something here there's something so, here that I need to learn and understand and and explore with well that's something I talk about a lot in my concept aware curriculum it's listening to your work right it's like a very much a Hansel and Gretel uh relationship pick up those breadcrumbs and and chew on them for a while um but the listening is so important this really um this image uh reminded me of the monkey image in terms of the framing and there's a few of these where you um you've got another eye in the frame which is really interesting too yeah yeah now this is a case this is in um in joss j-o-s nigeria uh and it's um this was a story I did in 2013 uh, about the Christian Muslim divide in Northern Nigeria. This is a case where I'm working in a place where, you know, this is a Muslim community. It's very dangerous. You know, there's Boko Haram that is operating in these communities. So this is a case where my fixer, my guide is like constantly pulling at me. We gotta go, we gotta go, we got. We gotta go. So, you know, I might, we might like get, get out of the car for 10, 20 minutes in a place try to make images and then, you know, go away. So it's a, you know, this is, even though the image might not reflect it, this is a very tense and potentially dangerous situation. So now I'm really working from the hip um, also because, you know, a lot of the folks don't want to be photographed and which I totally understand. And so this is a case where I'm just trying to make images in an otherwise very difficult situation. But again, it's that idea of that without even kind of like, realizing it i'm i'm lining things up you know like i'm seeing these two boys uh oh, sorry young girls with buckets on their head coming down the street mm -hmm. and then i see this woman in the white shador in the background and then that guy behind and and it's sort of like without even thinking about it i i position myself physically in a way mm -hmm. to hopefully hopefully capture all of this yeah. in a frame yeah. No, it's like the geometry. That's why I'm saying there's so many places where I'm blown away by the content 
and poten potentially an issue, but also the composition and that frame. And so all those things are working at the same time. Here's um, some of the words for fear that we came up with, trepidation, apprehension, panic, foreboding, angst, suspicion. Um, so you have to like contend with all of those as you're moving through um, the work yeah. that you do. I really appreciate the way you have played, and it seems like since the very beginning, with refraction and reflection within the image. Like you create it sometimes yourself or sometimes you find it. Yeah, yeah, and, and also, you know, learning how to work with flash blur, you know, flash and long exposure is, um, is something I started again early, early on, not because I read about it or someone had done it. It was just, it, it was again, it was just something that was born out of my sort of stumbling into photography, if you like, and, mm -hmm. and playing and then kind of going, Ooh, that's interesting. I like the result of that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but, but again, you know, like when I, all those years I've worked for, you know, major publications, whether it was an idea I proposed to them or it was commissioned, I'm on assignment. You couldn't do a lot of this kind of work, right? You know, cause but they're it, not going to, they're not going to publish a lot of these kinds of pictures. Mm -hmm. So so, you know, and I always urge people, I know one of the great photo editors, she actually died last year, Alison Rose George. Um, she edited at Geo Magazine and uh, mm -hmm. Fortune, New Time, Newsweek. She's a really amazing woman. And early on in my career, 1984, I was just breaking into the national magazine market. And she was the director of photography at Fortune Magazine, which then was one of the major magazines for photographers, for photojournalists to get sent all over the world on assignment. And she said to me, she's from the South, she was like, Ed, get me the picture you know I need, but then I want you to play. And I can't guarantee I'll be able to publish the picture you play with. But if you don't, that's the only way you're going to grow as a photographer. And uh, I always told that as like a talisman of like, thank you. So you're giving me, you're saying, get the picture that you know your editor wants or that whatever you feel you need to get to tell that story or complete that assignment. But if you can play, play around as well. And every so often the thing you played with might be the best picture you made in that situation. Absolutely. That's so good. We've got to quote her some more. Yeah. It's all the discovery through play. And it really seems that you have held that you said she said it to you in 84 and you've done it all along. And this is kind of a celebration of it in this book, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, now we should also like add in a dedication to Allison because it's, it's <laughs> the two Allisons, but the one that gave you that, right. that permission and that Free idea. Reprint. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, like this image that is, um, it's again, uh, for me, it was staggering, right? It just made me stop. It made me take it in. Um, the fact that you've got this person walking and that it looks like it's sunlight. I don't know if it's, if it's nighttime, I don't know what the it's light is. Dusk, end of daylight. This is in yeah. Turkey, in Southeastern wow. Turkey. Wow. And just the shadow on the wall and the young boy. Um, it's just so many layers and so many textures. Um, yeah. And you get the writing on the cement wall. Yeah. So many visceral responses to things, um, which you keep using that word visceral. And, and I guess I would translate that as gut, right? And it's that yeah. instinct. Um, and Not I overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there's a lot of that that happens and understandably in, in a lot of different kinds of photography where you really do need to think it out and plan it and organize, you know, to make it happen. But again, that to me, this is to, this is the magic of this approach to photography. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of magic. I would say there's breathing room. You know, if something is hermetically sealed, it doesn't, it doesn't have that. This yeah. is your most recent photograph in the book, yeah. which I wanted to include. And I, I'm glad to, to end on this because I think that you weave this through regardless. And these are the synonyms for wonder, um, fascination, awe, marvel, curiosity, astonishment, and reverence. I hope you all have enjoyed this and, you know, gotten something out of it. But uh, again, you know, what I've learned over these decades, both as a practitioner, as well as a teacher and mentor, is, you know, 
we're all here because we share some love of photography. And it's a it's an intoxicating um, habit. It's a, it's a, I always say, you know, it's like once you catch the the virus, it never goes away. It only kind of gets stronger in a way, you know, and and the and the the key to success and success, I don't mean in a material sense, just whatever success means to you, is that it's a never-ending process. It's a never-ending search, both within ourselves and in how we see the world. And there is still, I'm like a little kid when I have a camera in my hand and I make a picture I'm excited about. I'm like a little kid because there's still a magic and a wonder to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's your tool for connectivity and you are describing to us a lifelong relationship with this entity which is the image and visual storytelling yeah well i think we've run to our time but ed thank you so much i All really right, appreciate you. your time and thank you for the book all right all right well sibylla right. you take good care everybody take I care will. we will all Thank right. you so much. Take All care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>